Would you please stand with me for the reading of today's passage? We are in, well, we're not in Ephesians 6, but I'm jumping ahead a few passages to get to Ephesians 6 because it involves parenting and children. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This is the main passage on parenting in the New Testament, and I'd say second in the Bible only to Deuteronomy 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. You know, as we read that passage, I'm just reminded how there are so many, many words out there, and some of them are good words and some of them are not so good words, but this alone is the eternal word of God. And so this is where we take our cues. Now, the fact that Paul inspired by the Spirit of God, includes children in this passage about relationships in the family is a surprise because this was written in the first century Roman world that greatly devalued children. In fact, they would condone cruelty to children. I mean, it's just incredible, some of the things. But in that world that did not value children, When God writes about the relationships in the family and in the work world, he includes children, parents. And the only good explanation for that is because they looked at the life of Jesus and saw the way Jesus treated children and esteemed them so highly. For example, there's Mark 10 where uh, these women were bringing their children to be held by Jesus, prayed over, blessed by him. The disciples, you know, oh, shooing them away, you know, he's far too important for you. And Jesus, you know, just got indignant about that. said, wait a minute here. These children, they are precious to me. And they are our models in the kingdom of God. In fact, no one gets into the kingdom unless they become like a little child. And he takes them in his arms and he prays for them and he blesses them. I bet as many as wanted to be prayed for. And so Jesus highly values children. And so all of you moms, I know We've got moms across Wood's Edge who have such a Christ-like perspective. That did not come from our culture. That came from our God in Jesus. And in every way, in all of our lives, including parenting and the family, we take our cues not from the world around us, but from God and His Holy Word. And so uh, three of the four verses will be addressed not to the parents, but to the children, which is a bit surprised. I mean, Today, when you talk about books on parenting, we would have 100 books on parenting to every one book on being a child, or maybe more. Uh, But God has three out of four verses in this key passage for the children. So if you are here today, and you're a child, and that includes all of us at one point, but particularly if you are here and you're about 18 or under, you're still in the home, this has a special relevance for you. And he basically starts off with a direct command, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents, which would mean, of course, not obey them with a grudging, uh, begrudging, bad attitude, but with respect, with honor, 
really with appreciation, recognizing what parenthood, the sacrifice that's inherent in it. So obey your parents, but obey your parents in the Lord. That means obey them as, as if you would obey the Lord, uh, as, as part of your duty to the Lord. So teenagers who might be in the, the place or children, uh, this is something that is a spiritual responsibility, an act of worship to God, to obey our parents with a good attitude. So obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That is, underscores it. This matters to God. It, it matters surprisingly to God. So much so that uh, it, it must reflect our obedience and submission to the Lord. That is, the kind of attitude that we as children have towards our parents reflects a basic attitude towards the authority that God has in our lives. In Romans 1, we've got the longest list of sins in the New Testament. And they've got some real whopper sins in that passage. And among those egregious sins, he includes those who disobey parents. Now, isn't that something? The importance this is to God. Or in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is not long before his death, and he's talking about the last days. And he says, these are the sins that will characterize people in the last days. And on that list again, those who disobey their parents. And so this matters to God. It matters a great deal to God that we obey our parents. Well, now that's so blanket. Children, obey your parents. No caveats, no questions, no uh, uh, exceptions. Well, one thing about the Scriptures is that in every case, they, they do not deal with all the exceptions. But you take all of the Scripture together and to understand every part of it. And uh, does this mean that we would obey our parents if they told us to do something that was wrong or sinful? Well, think about it this way. What if there was a 15-year-old boy who was from a non-Christian family, and he was building a friendship with a, a Christian at his school, and his parents are aware of this, and what if they forbid him uh, to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to worship the Lord? Should he obey them? No, he should not. You obey your parents unless it is sin to obey your parents. The 15-year-old boy should become a Christian because Jesus made it so clear that our uh, obedience and allegiance and loyalty to the Lord far transcends every human relationship. And so, in general, children, obey your parents, but if your parents would ever say something that is sinful to do, you obey the Lord. You obey the Lord. Well, at this point, Paul quotes the fifth commandment because he's not done with talking to children. He immediately goes in verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And he's quoting from Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, the fifth of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. In fact, uh, between the fourth and the fifth commandment, we turn to uh, expressing love for God, the first four, to love uh, horizontally for people, the next six. And the first one, honor your father and your mother. Now, if you're a small, or if you're still in the home, say about 18 or under, that means obey. It includes obey. But for all of us whose parents are alive, who have a parent who's alive, that speaks to us. Honor. 
treat them with respect. Treat them with dignity. With dignity. Uh, show appreciation for, for uh, what you can show appreciation for. Honor them. Treasure them. Maybe as they get older, they need financial help. Maybe they need special physical care. Whatever it involves, show honor to your father and your mother because this matters to God. It matters to God. It's the first commandment with a promise. And he goes on to declare that promise. He said in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, again, this is written to the Israelis on their way to the land, which represented the blessing and the, the, the hand of favor of God. Now, for us, you know, we're not headed to the promised land, but, but what God is saying to us is this. If you want my blessing on your life, then you obey this commandment. <laughs> Honor your father and your mother. Now, I'm very aware that this is not always easy. I'm very aware that some of you have some very difficult situations, that maybe your parents abused you, horror of horrors. Maybe they neglected you. Maybe they were absent parents. Maybe they were alcoholic parents. You know, nobody had perfect parents. Certainly my kids didn't. But maybe you had a parent that uh, really brought some pain into your life. How do you honor your parents in that situation? Well, let me just remind you of a few basic things. First of all, let God heal your heart. He's the great healer. He can heal your heart. You are not sentenced. Do not sentence yourself to living with pain and woundedness and unforgiveness, which will destroy all of your life. You don't have to live that way. Let God heal your heart. And the very first step is, is, the, is the gift of forgiveness. Lord, I choose to forgive my mom or my dad. Forgiveness is not so much an emotion. It is a choice. It is a healing choice. And you set somebody free yourself. Lord, I'm making the choice, as hard as this is, I'm deciding, Lord God, because you tell me to, I'm choosing to forgive my parents. Now, that's just what we prayed a few minutes ago with the Lord's Prayer. Lord God, forgive me my, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We got some debtors. We forgive because God's forgiven us. He can give us grace. He can. If, if possible and appropriate, you might talk with your parent that you've had a very difficult situation with. And that doesn't always work. Your parent might not be alive. And uh, your parent may not be safe, may not be open at all. But talk with someone if you can't talk with your parent. Talk, talk with a, a trusted friend in your small group, a wise, godly friend. Or, or maybe come here at Wood's Edge and, and, and get some healing prayer that really deals with unforgiveness and some pain in our lives. It, God uses it. Uh, or, or we've got lay counselors here at Wood's Edge that we would love to help you as much as we can. And then we refer to professional counselors also who are, um, who are gifted, tr Christian professional counselors. So talk with someone. Uh, a couple of other things. Appreciate what you can about your parents with all the, the challenge. Appreciate what you can. But then here, here's the bottom line when it comes to this. Know this. Every one of us know this. Whatever kind of parents you have, you have a Father in heaven who is perfect, and He loves you more than you could ever know. And let Him love you. Some of you, you've been so hurt that you've never really let your Father in heaven really fully love you. You've, you've kind of kept Him obey. And, and this morning, uh, just receive all of us. I just tell Him that. Lord God, I, I want to receive all of your love for me.
That's the only perfect love on the planet. And he loves you this way. Receive it fully. Let him heal your heart. Okay, this is the challenge to the children. Honor your father and mother because uh, this matters to God. God will bless you. His hand of favor and blessing will be upon you. Now, in verse 4, he turns to the parents. And there we read, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, one crisp command, it's got what to avoid, don't do this, and then what to adopt, do this. So, pretty simple. Uh, when, when he says fathers, that uh, term in the original language, um, sometimes referred to only the, the dads, but, but many times it referred to the fathers and the mothers, the parents. And that's what it does here. He's talking about parents here. Just like the Greek term adelphos uh, for brother at times refers to just the males, but at other times, many times, it refers to the brothers and sisters in the church. And so it can be a general term. So God is talking to parents here. Parents, mothers and fathers. Two things. On the one hand, this is what to avoid. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this is interesting to me. Um, God doesn't say a lot about parenting. Surprisingly little in the Bible. I think there are some reasons for that. Partly because I think uh, the main principle on parenting is to parent your children the way our Father parents us. And that's basically with two things, love and authority. God loves us with an incredible love, unconditional, really, unconditional. And He has authority as God, and, and every child needs those two things in full measure, in full measure. child needs to know that you've got the authority, and the child needs to know that they're so loved by God. Now, do not provoke your children to anger. It doesn't say much to parents, but here is one of the things. So maybe we as parents, maybe particularly some of us who are a little bit uh, type A, hard charging, particularly with firstborn kids, can at times provoke our children to anger. Uh, first of all, no parent uh, avoids this completely. But God is telling us, be attentive to this. Be alert to this. This is something you might do. Avoid it. Do not exasperate your children. Do not frustrate your children. Now, last night I was with an uh, extended family, and uh, I know I, I frustrated my, my little grandson on, on one occasion. And I had to decide, well, you know, is that a legitimate time? Uh, and I decided it was. Um, it doesn't mean that your children will never be frustrated with you, but what he's talking about, because they're going to want some things that are inappropriate, that are not good for them. But he's saying, parents, be wise, godly, loving. Don't, you don't do things to provoke them to anger. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you 10 quick things that every parent knows about already. But here are the things that we, about, we humans, we don't need to know new things. We know plenty of things already that we're not doing now. We need to be reminded of the things we already know. And, and so let me just remind you, particularly those of you who are active parents, because, you know, we forget some of these things at times, and we need a little reminder. Okay, yeah, I'm a little bit over on that side of this one. All righty, how do we do that? One, we fail to express our love through words, touch, focus, listening, and special time alone. Uh, every parent, unless they're a monster, 
Every parent loves their kids, but not every parent expresses that love in the ways that kids feel loved. And uh, there, there's an excellent book on, the, on parenting uh, called How to Really Love Your Child. I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised the Smalley's uh, know Ross Campbell. They know everybody in the field. And um, uh, Ross Campbell's a Christian psychiatrist, and it's a short paperback, but I feel like it's an invaluable book. In fact, I asked our team to order some copies for our bookstore. And uh, he basically makes this point, that children need to feel that love. You know, they're not just going to get it by osmosis. And the way they feel it is through tender touch, through words of love and affirmation, through eye contact, focused listening, and through time alone. Those four things particularly convey to children of every age. How to Really Love You. By the way, he's got a, a sequel book, How to Really Love Your Teenager. It's not near as good. Get this one. How to really love your child. Okay. Secondly, we provoke our kids to wrath or to anger through over-discipline. Some of us maybe had a little tendency to be too hard, too strict, too harsh. I think I kind of erred on that side a bit at times. In fact, quite sure I did. Um, watch out for that if you tend to be like me. But on the other hand, another way is through under-discipline. That is, those parents who have no consequences, no rules, no guidelines, you know, they just want to be a pal, you know, that's a mistake. Children need boundaries, walls that gives them security. They, they need not only the love of a parent, they need the authority of a parent. Remember, hold those two things in balance, love and authority, love and authority. That's the way God parents us. Watch out for underdiscipline. Plato put it this way. He said, when it comes to parenting, you get the behavior you tolerate. You get the behavior you tolerate. Some things we shouldn't tolerate. All righty, smothering is another way. And in fact, I think this one is kind of epidemic around the woodlands these days, it seems to me, uh, that we're kind of in a phase, you know, we can be cyclical about all kinds of things. And uh, got to watch smothering, that is uh, overprotective, overhovering, you know, not letting them go, not letting them grow up. You know, from the time a child is born until they get about 18 years old, it is gradual, more and more freedom. Give them more and more freedom. Put them in the nursery. Uh, let them go to a camp. Let them uh, spend the night away from home. Let them have more and more freedom, appropriate freedom, as they mature. So watch out for smothering. On the other hand, neglecting, that'd be the opposite. We don't want to go that direction. Doesn't happen as much around here, but it does happen where both parents are absorbed in their own worlds and neglect their kids. That would provoke a child to anger. Um, not really listening you know, I know that's already kind of mentioned by me. In the, I mentioned that in the first time, but it's just so important. Can you, can you imagine a teenager just longing to her, for, for his or her parent to really hear them, to really understand them, that God made that child to, to need to be listened to? Um, and, and that's generally on their schedules, not our schedules. Um, another one, uh, ridicule and sarcasm. So some, you know, of, of us, maybe we kind of talk that way with ridicule and sarcasm. That can really uh, exasperate and frustrate. Favoritism. Oh, my, J Jacob, the way he showed favoritism to Joseph, and he torpedoed the whole family dynamics. Uh, unreasonable demands or expectations. If, if they feel like they can never please mom or dad, that's trouble. Um, 
A final one I'll mention is living your life through them rather than letting them you know, be their own person that God made them. You know, there, there are lots of others, but, but here's some of them. No parent avoids those completely, but yet God calls our attention right here and says, fathers, mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. Be alert to this being a danger. All righty. Now, at this point, he closes the passage with uh, a final positive command. That is, he said what to avoid, causing your children to be angry, and what to do now is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the discipline, the physical discipline at times, the, the parenting discipline at times as they grow older, and the instruction of the Lord, authority and love. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. We've I've already mentioned a couple of times how they need boundaries. They need appropriate consequences to their, st- their age of life. They, they need to be brought up in the instruction of the Lord. Let's not think of lectures here. Let's not think of, you know, formal instruction. Let, let's think of as you live your life with your kids, it just kind of oozes out because you're God-centered, because you, you walk with God. It's just going to come out naturally. I'm with Sarah and her three kids on Friday at the Houston Museum of Natural Science. And uh, we see this movie on the Amazon jungle. It's a good movie in many ways, but it was completely secular and naturalistic and, you know, no mention of God. And, and, I, and I was curious that, you know, when we got out to a little park bench area to, to have some lunch, Sarah immediately probes into the movie with them. And it's just the way she would do it. She just said, you know, what did, y'all, what did you, what do you think about that movie? And she, you know, probably praised the good parts, but she also made it clear, hey, we know that God created all these things, that God is the creator. And so we seize the moments of life to, to bring a God perspective. And really, when it comes to bringing your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it's not a matter of, of you being a theological expert or how much you know. You know what it is? It's a matter of you walking with God. It's a matter of you loving Jesus and being an example of what it means to walk with God. You know, in the main passage on parenting in the Bible, I mentioned earlier, Deuteronomy 6, he gets to a part about teaching your kids. But before he does, he says, here's where you start. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the main thing about parenting, that we love God and we model what it means to walk with God. And we can do that church. By God's grace, every parent can can, can do that. We can give ourselves to loving the Lord. Let me close with a story. It comes from a man by the name of Gilbert Beers, and he is talking about his great-great-grandmother to the eighth great. And he says this, her name is Catherine Dubois. She was born in France, and she was a French Huguenot. Now, if you don't know that historical term, French Huguenots, these were Bible-believing, Christ-honoring believers, and they suffered a lot of persecution, and a number of them came to the United States way back when. So she was a French Huguenot. She was living in northern New York in the 1600s. And, and their little village, uh, a tribe of Minisink Indians, uh, swept down and raided their village, killed some people, and they captured some mothers and small children and took them off. Now, so, so think Last of the Mohicans. I mean, if, if you've seen that movie, that kind of thing. Okay, he said, my ancestor, Catherine Dubois, lived that. And this is what happened. He said, uh, 
the Indians disappeared into the mountains. And the search parties could not find them. And they searched for Catherine and Sarah, the little baby, and other moms and kids for 10 weeks. I mean, can you imagine being Catherine, 10 weeks, being a captive under the threat of life and death? And for 10 weeks, they couldn't find them. And so the Minisink Indians decided that surely they have avoided reprisal, and they were going to celebrate by taking one of the mothers, Catherine, and, and her daughter, Sarah, and burning them at the stake, if you can imagine such a horrible thing. And so they get all the logs in a stack, uh, tie Catherine and the little girl to the stake there, to, to, to that little pile of logs, and they light the torch that they're going to use to light the bonfire. Now, when they light the torch, how would you respond if you had been in Catherine Dubois' uh, shoes? I mean, can you imagine? I just can't imagine how I'd respond. But this is what Catherine Dubois did. She burst out in a hymn of praise to God, a French Huguenot hymn, and the first one that she chose was appropriately from Psalm 137. Because in Psalm 137, that is a psalm involving when the Israelites, when the Israelis were captives in Babylon. And one of the lines says this, There our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And Catherine Dubois knew a hymn from that psalm. And she burst out in that psalm. And she, she turned this uh, a forest into a cathedral of praise. And the Indians were so taken aback. Maybe she had a great voice and was beautiful. They were taken aback by it, maybe by her peace and joy in a situation like this, that they uh, kept asking her to sing more songs. And she kept one after another singing these songs. There was a search party nearby led by her husband, Louis, who heard the singing, made their way, burst into the settlement, and rescued Catherine Dubois and her daughter, Sarah. Now, what a story. What a story. And Gilbert Beers is thinking, man, I'm so glad that she was a woman of faith because I wouldn't be here. And he says, do people care about how one Christian woman died, godly woman died in the forests of New England? And the 1600s had eight generations of the Dubois family. We care. We care a lot. And, you know, that is a dramatic example that none of us will ever be placed in quite that situation, I don't imagine. But here is a woman who walked with God, and so that when the crises of life came, uh, she was ready to trust her God, whether it meant life or death. And, and that is the kind of life that God is calling every mom and dad to. Not to be perfect, uh, not to, to, to never make any mistakes, but decide, come what may, I will be a man or a woman who walks with my God. And that is the best way that we parent anyone. Now, if you're here today and you're just feeling just overwhelmed with all of the mistakes that I made as a parent, uh, let, let me tell you whose voice you're listening to. You're, you're listening to the voice of Satan, who is an accuser and a condemner. You know what God's voice says? God's voice says, my grace is sufficient. And he says that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He wants you to receive the grace of God, maybe afresh. Lord God, yes, I blew it. I was, maybe some of you, I feel like I was a terrible parent. What, you were an imperfect parent. Lord, I receive your grace. And now, 
uh, receiving the grace of God, we've got, we're ready now to love our kids uh, the way God's called us to. It's never too late. It's never too late. Love your kids the way God's called you to. Don't live in guilt. That's not noble or godly. That's listening to the accuser. And it's like saying, you know, Christ's blood wasn't big enough to cover my sin. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, moms, we honor you. We celebrate you. We recognize uh, the, the sacrifice, and we salute you. Um, for all of us, no matter what kind of earthly parents you had, know for sure that you've got a perfect Father in heaven, and that matters the most. And let him love you with all your heart. Open your heart to him. Would you stand with me in prayer? Friend, if you're in the room and you've never trusted Christ, never received the love and grace of God, right now, just breathe a prayer and say, Yes, Jesus, would you save me? Would you save me? I need your love and grace. He'll do it. He's already heard that prayer. He just heard it and answered it. And he gave you eternal life. Let one of us know about that. Maybe a prayer partner at the end. Let one of us know. Lord God, bless the moms here. Bless the moms here in every way. Lord, those in the house, particularly women in the house, who this is a hard day, would you be uh, their strength and, and their healing and be with them. Lord, we love you for the gospel, the gospel of grace. And we pray all this together in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.